Good morning, good morning. It's great to see you all this morning. I get the pleasure of wrapping this series up. My name is Alex. I oversee our kids' ministry here. And they, uh, they gave me more than five minutes today. So you guys have to buckle up for a normal message. I'm not just telling a story. But if you know me, you know that there's going to be stories weaved in. Uh, this is a great and exciting morning. I love this Who We Are series that we get to do every single fall because it gives us a chance to kind of refocus, recenter, to re just kind of centralize ourselves in what the main thing is. What is God calling us? And so if you've been here for the past few weeks, you know that we've been going over this idea of Christ being revealed to us, by us or in us and then by us, that was last week. And so this week we're kind of looking at, okay, so who are we and where are we headed? You know, it's kind of funny, uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, we did a Biola church fair and me and a few staff members, we got to go to this church fair and there's a bunch of students just coming up asking us all sorts of questions. But there was one student in particular and she walked right up to me and she grabbed our little sign that said Fullerton Free and she looks at me and she's like, Fullerton Free, huh? What's your vibe? <laughs> and even though I knew that this is the literal thing I was talking about, I looked at her and I said, the vibes are good. Yeah, the vibes are really good here. <laughs> Definitely the vibes are going up. And she's like, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, Fullerton Free, who are you and who do you want to be? And I was, you know, like Michael Scott, I started talking before I had any idea of where my sentence was going. And I gave her a jumbled answer. And my hope that this morning is, is we can answer that question for that student a little bit more because this is an important thing to think about. Who are we and where are we headed? Who is God calling us to be, not just in the now, but also looking towards the future? And so as I thought about this, I thought of just how do you know who we are? That's something we've been going for. How would I succinctly talk to that student if I had a do-over and not giving her a long-winded answer that probably made no sense? And as I was thinking about it, I thought about our mission statement. Because a mission statement, the whole point of that is to give you a target and an objective of where you're going. It's the purpose of being. It's who we are as a church, who we strive to be, not just in the present, but in the future. And so if you put up our mission statement, this is kind of some of what we are going to be unpacking today, because I think it's a perfect place to say this is who we are, this is who we want to be in the present, but more importantly, this is who we want to be in the future. And so our mission statement reads that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, Fullerton Free is a loving community, united in sacrifice, and living like Christ for the glory of God. This mission statement isn't something that's brand new. It isn't something that we sat in a room and thought, oh, we're going to come up with the best way to say all of these things. This mission statement, at its simplest form, is teaching us Jesus. We want to seek after Jesus and become more like him. We want to have those marks of a loving community that is united in sacrifice and ultimately living like Christ for the glory of God. And so as I was studying and looking and seeing what passage are we here to talk about today, what do I want to talk to this amazing crew right here in front of me? And Philippians 3, 12 to 14 just kept coming up. And I love the way that Paul sets this up because the way that he talks about following Jesus isn't something that you just get to the mountaintop and then you're set and you're good and you can just coast. But it's this kind of lifelong journey. If we were to think about it like a marathon, right, because as you know, and as something that I tell our kids all the time, is you don't accept Jesus into your life, and then suddenly life is easy, right? I can't tell you how many times about a fourth grader come and be like, I prayed for that million dollars, and for some reason, I didn't get the million dollars. Like, what is this, Alex? 
And I'm like, that's not what the journey of faith is like. The journey of faith is long, it doesn't have an end, and we can always be growing as image bearers of Christ. And so I love the way Paul sets this up. And so I want to read just a little bit of it in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I know Paul has talked about running the race, and I think that that's the perfect place for us to start this morning. Because when we think about our faith journey, it's easy to think about it as a marathon. Now... I'm not a marathon runner. I don't see that as something that is fun, but I have a lot of friends that do run a marathon. And what's interesting about it is if I, someone who's never run a marathon before, were to need to know how to train, I would go to somebody who's a little bit further along in the marathon game. They would tell me, you don't just wake up one morning and run 26.2 miles. You have to train, you have to have slow, incremental growth. You can't just jump in and finish the race right off the bat. You sometimes need someone to help you say you run this amount of miles at this point. You keep training, you have to stretch. You can't wake up and just run. You have to warm your body up. It's all of these things of what it takes to run a marathon. And what's interesting is we need all of us, if we're running a marathon, to help one another. If you have never run before, you need to look at the people who have run the race before. And if you have run the race and you've run a million marathons, you're never going to stay in marathon shape if you stop running. And that's what I love about where we're starting this morning is because in this faith journey of who we are as a church, we need to understand that we don't get to just check out of this race. When Paul writes in the first verse that this is not something that he's already obtained, this is Paul telling us that he hasn't gotten it. He hasn't gotten to the mountaintop. He hasn't figured it all out, but instead he still has to press on towards Christ Jesus. There's this piece of what Paul's writing where it's a healthy discontentment. Now before you run up here and say that we're supposed to be content in Christ, what I mean when I say healthy discontentment is this idea that we hunger for more spiritual depth, that we hunger to know Christ more. Because what Paul is talking about when he's saying that we need to press on towards Jesus, it's that we need to seek to know him, but also to become more like him. And that's something that is going to carry us from now into eternity when we choose to accept Jesus into our life. So it is like a marathon. But the thing that we need to understand as a full body of believers is that we need all of us, right? I get the chance to work with our amazing kids. And a lot of times it's funny, we have this conversation where when they choose to accept Jesus in their life, they don't push off running the race to a different generation, right? They don't get to say, oh, I'm just a fourth grader. God can't use me. I'll do that when I'm old. And yet sometimes I feel like that where I'm like, oh, it's for the older. It's for my dad. He's the one who's showing us how to run the race. But it takes a full church. It takes the people with experience and spiritual depth hungering to know Jesus better. And it takes our younger generation looking at that model and saying, I too want to grow in spiritual depth with Jesus. When I think about this church, I think about a church of how amazing it would be if all of us continued to say, I haven't already obtained it, I haven't figured it out, and all I want to do is to seek Christ more and to become more like him. And like I said, it takes all of us. It takes a loving community. It's that second piece of our mission statement that when I think of who we are and who we're called to be, we don't know exactly what the church is going to look like, right? We don't know what worship songs are going to be in the rotation. We don't know what color the walls of this sanctuary could be changed to. But the thing we do know that God is calling us to be a loving community in the present and a loving community in the future. 
You know, recently uh, we were talking about this idea that God is love, and so we're called to love. We were talking about it as a fourth and fifth grader, and one of the fourth graders came up to me, and he looked like he was kind of struggling with this concept. And he came up to me, and he was like, Mr. Alex, are we called to love, like, everybody? And I was like, yeah, we're called to love everybody. God even says to love our enemies. And he was like, oh, 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 this is when he said that you got to keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. And I was like, I think that is the art of war. But Jesus talked about a little bit of a different thing. No, when we talk about loving not only the people inside these walls, but the people everywhere, the call is that God's love flows to us, that God is love. If we were to look at 1 John 4, 7 to 8, we read, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for the love of God, or love is from God, uh, and whoever uh, love has been born of God and knows God, anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. There's this piece where God's love flows to us, and we are called to shower that love on everybody else. If I had a cup up here, it would be like God just filling up our cup with his love and us getting to just pass that cup around to everybody that we interact with. It's this piece where when Paul is talking about us seeking after Jesus, pressing on and straining, it's a lifelong journey where we have to commit to continue to try to deepen our hunger to know him and to become more like him. But there's no better display of God's love for us than Jesus dying on the cross. It was the most sacrificial piece of love and the perfect example. You know, I have a friend, um, his name is Zach, and a lot of my college friends don't know God at all. Right? They don't know God and their only picture of the church is what they see on the news, which as we know, isn't always our best look, right? And so Zach, one time, a couple years back, he came uh, to a couple church things with me. He came to church on Sunday. He went with me to a family's house that like, attends our church. And it was, I was holding my breath the whole time. I hope they're nice to him. I hope they make him feel loved and welcome. And Zach goes to this house. And every time I look up from, you know, hanging out with the kids, I see Zach talking or in a really big conversation or laughing. And so as we're driving home, I look over at Zach and I'm like, so... How was your night? What did you think about all this? And he was like, Alex, your church people are like weird. <laughs> and I was like, good, good weird or like bad weird? And he looked at me and he said, dude, I have never met a group of people that asked more questions about me, that made me feel more seen and more known. He's like, I knew these people for 10 minutes and they acted and invited me in and cared for me better than some of our friends that we've known for four years. And I thought that this is this beautiful picture that when what I think about what we're called to be as a church, that we're a church that put God's love on display in such a way that a person like Zach, who has no idea anything about God, who doesn't care for the church, that when he comes into contact with people who love God and are seeking him with everything they have, that then they can get to see there's something weird and good weird, not bad weird. There's something good about these people who are putting God's love on display. 
that when I look at our church and as we finish off this Who We Are series and I think about what I hope that we are to be as a church in the future, what I feel like God is calling us to be, I feel like it's a church where I want people to say, it is weird how loving this place is, not only to one another, but to everyone who steps foot in here. But when I look and they say, how crazy is it, how generous they are with their time, how they see people and invest in people, how we cling to the love of God above all and how we put that on display for every single person that we come into contact with. This is something that's near and dear to my heart because I have a family member who is off and on in church but will often say he wants nothing to do with Christians because he's had just a few bad experiences. But for him and for the Zachs and for the other people who step foot in our wall, our walls and might be thinking, oh, I don't know about this place. My hope is that we would put God's love on display in such a way that it just draws them in and that they go, there's something really cool. They could put weird, they could say crazy, but we could say how awesome it is. And how amazing is it that we have a God whose love for us is so great that he invites us in to show his love to other people. It's something that I always talk to our kids about. How cool is it that when they go to their school that they get to represent God's love to their friends. And that can be through a variety of ways. There are tons of things that God is calling us to. And yet to be a loving community, it also means that we have to unite in the sacrifice, right? To unite in sacrifice where we sometimes have to put our own preferences aside. We have to put in our own things that we like and instead say, what is God calling us to? Where is God taking us? If we go back to Philippians, Paul illustrates this part pretty well. He says, um, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As Paul is talking about this idea of aiming at the goal, what he's talking about is the goal of knowing Christ better and to become more like him. And the prize, as we talked about, is resurrection life, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we didn't have to. So we didn't have to take that punishment. It's this amazing piece of sacrificial love. And if we're supposed to be more like Christ, then we also have to participate in sacrificing for one another. But there's also this piece where Paul talks about forgetting what lies behind. And I don't know about you, but that is a difficult thing to do, to forget what lies behind, the good and the bad. When I think of my own life, I think that sometimes it feels like, ah, I don't seek God enough or my life in the past is filled with sin and maybe God can't use me. But at the same time, as Paul's talking about this idea of forgetting what lies behind, he's not just talking about forgetting about the shame and the guilt and the sin that we've been given grace for, but he's also talking about not just looking back at the things that were good and amazing and the glorious things and saying, but those things were so awesome. And this is something that is experienced all over our church. As you know, I like to tell stories about kids, but there was one instance this past Sunday where I used an example uh, in my sermon about Fortnite. And one kid came up to me and he was like, Fortnite is the greatest game ever. Like, I love where it's headed. And then another kid, as that kid was saying that, shouted at him and said, that game is trash. It used to be so good. It's unplayable. Delete the game. And it was this piece where you have one person who's really excited about where this game is headed. Another person who's like, it used to be so good. And they're at odds, making each other sad and definitely getting in trouble 
by Mr. Alex. But what Paul is saying is to forget what lies behind. And there's another place that I think we see this that's a perfect example of what it means to open our hands, right? We're sacrificing our expectations for one another. But another thing that we're doing is we're sacrificing our need for control. We don't know what the future will hold. And yet we're called to loosen our grip and to trust God with where he's taking us, with who he's calling us to be, and where he's leading us to go. If we're to go to the Old Testament, we see this laid out in an interesting way. If we go to Ezra uh, 3, 11 to 13, we see a couple verses that we're going to pop up. And it's this place where the new temple is being built. Right, so the old temple in the time of Solomon, it's gone, but the new temple is being, uh, the foundation is being laid. And we see this interesting thing play out where you've got the first temple was huge and beautiful and amazing. It has the Ark of the Covenant and the second temple is still pretty rad, but smaller and the future is a little bit murkier and the climate with which it was built is different than the first temple. And so let's read and see what happens. It says, and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish between the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. So we've got this interesting thing happening, right? You've got this temple being laid and some people are like praising about what God is going to do in the temple. And then you've got those who are crying. Here's what I'm actually not here to do. I'm not here to say that the people who look back at the past and say that this is an amazing thing that this temple is on. I'm not here to stand up here and say that those people are in the wrong. We don't know why they are weeping. And we know that God calls us when we have grief and sadness to bring that in to a loving community. But what I am here to say is it's interesting if we think about how easy it is to get distracted by what's in our past. We sometimes forget about the amazing thing that God's yet to do in the future. And we see that played out with this temple, right? The second temple's smaller. It doesn't look as great. And yet if we go to Haggai 2, 8 to 9, we see that this temple was in for a special treat. It reads, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give my peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The people who are weeping, I feel like I could be like them too, where it looks like the future is a little bit blurry. We don't know what's happening. We don't know where God's taking us. And we're a little bit like, I don't know. It feels feels like we don't know what's going to happen. And yet what I love about this passage in the Old Testament that I think illustrates what Paul's talking about in Philippians is this idea that God is in it. Right? When he's laying the foundation of his second temple, he's saying the silver is already mine. The gold is is already mine. I could have made that temple double the size of the first one, but the most important thing is that I am in the second temple, that my peace is going to be there. A lot of commentators say that it's Jesus who's going to walk through those walls. He's saying that the future might look blurry, but you're forgetting who you're putting your trust in, that I am in it and I am going to do something amazing. When I think about this place, when I think about us as individuals and as a corporate body, I think that we have a rich history that is amazing in this church. It's amazing. And yet I think that I have equal joy and equal ways to say that the stuff that we've done in the past is so incredible that the hope is that that continues in the future, but it continues by a community that's loving 
and a community that unites and sacrifices and says, we don't know exactly where God's taking us, but man, I'm going to loosen my grip on control. I'm going to take a back seat, open my hands and say, all right, God, let's forget what lies behind. Let's press on towards you. Let's become more like you and let's see where you're going to take us. There's this place where we are called to unite. We are called to be those who sacrifice for one another. And ultimately, where we're going to end today of who we are as a church and where we're headed is we're called to live like God for the glory of Christ. Whenever uh, we talk in the kids' ministry about being an image bearer, I usually bring up a mirror. And I'm not going to bring up a mirror because it always goes poorly because the kids just look at it and make funny faces at it. So I didn't want to tempt any of you with that. But I love that picture because when you look at a mirror, you get to look and see what other people see. And I always ask the question to our kids, who do, they, who do other people, people at the store, people at your school, people at your sports teams, who do they see when they look at that mirror? Do they see us living like Christ for the glory of God or do they see people living for our own glory? It's a question that I want us to ponder. Because what we put on display matters. It matters who we're representing. And ultimately, we want to be a church that lives like Christ. That means embodies who he is. We have to seek him to know him. But then that we get to show that to everybody we come into contact with. If you were here last week, uh, Darren briefly touched on what it means to be uh, an ambassador of Christ. He just said, you know, being an ambassador is being a representative of Christ. And I really like this picture that Paul's writing on, to be an ambassador of Christ, to be a representative, because I had uh, the chance when I was a freshman in high school, my family moved uh, to Egypt, where my dad was a senior pastor of a church there. And I remember uh, we were on the plane and my dad is sitting next to me and he's like, in 2 Corinthians and he holds it up to me and he's like so excited. He's like, Alex, we get to be ambassadors. And I am sitting there as a freshman and I'm like, what does that mean? I don't understand. He's like, we get to be representatives. I'm like, cool. Can you elaborate? Like you are a pastor. Help me understand what this is. And he's like, all right, take this for example. You, he's talking to me, are very pale, which seems like a hurtful thing to say to a freshman. And he said, you are going to be the representative of what every person you come into contact with in Egypt thinks about when they think of an American. And he's like, isn't that awesome? I did not think that that was awesome. I thought that that was a heavy weight to bear. But he said, it's so amazing that we get to show all of the things that we experience when we're in communion with God. We get to show that to other people. And so there's one Thanksgiving, it was our first Thanksgiving when we're in Egypt, and my dad is like, we are going to show them what an American Thanksgiving is like. And I got super excited. My mom looks at me and she says, the only problem is we're in Egypt and there is no American food here, so it is going to be an American holiday with no American food, which felt like how can we show what Thanksgiving is all about when we have none of the good stuff. And so my dad was telling an actual U.S. ambassador, right, not just us, we're a pastor's family, and he went to the commissary, which is a little store where they get all the American food. They're spoiled, in case you're wondering. And they deliver all of the goods, all of the fixings. They give us a turkey. They give us a ham. They give us dressing or stuffing, depending on where you're from. And they give us all of the fixings. And so we invite all of these people from church, right? And this church is an international church. 
Tons of people who have never experienced a Thanksgiving. And they come to our house and I'm serving up the person next to me. And the person next to me, his name was Sele. He was a, he's a guy on staff. He was from Ghana. He was this amazing, jubilant guy who just spoke at like volume 10 at all times. He felt things at level 10. And he told us about them at level 10 as well. And he's sitting next to me and I'm scooping him up a plate. And as I'm talking to someone to my left, I feel this big hand grab my right shoulder. And he's like, Alex, this is the single greatest piece of bread that I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I look over and it's a Hawaiian sweet roll. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then it's like everything he tried. He's trying a crescent roll. He's trying the turkey. He grabs a Dorito from the middle, says it's the best chip he's ever had. And he's like, this is the greatest food I have literally ever had in my entire life. And he's like, and I come from a place with great food. And he's like sitting on the couch after this meal. His belly is big. And he's like, Alex, I need more. I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. And he goes, no, no, no. I need this every single day. This is the best food. I need more. He's like, I need to go to the source. I'm going to eat my way through the United States of America. If you're sitting here wondering what in the world is Alex talking about, when I look at this church, when I look at what it means to be an ambassador, to be a representative of Christ, I look at a group of people that I have been praying for and hoping and I'm a participant in, that we're a church that says that's the kind of God we want to put on display. That where we are with people, that they see Christ so intimately in us, that they see us seeking after him with everything that we have, that when they're around us, that they say, what is going on here? I want more of this. I want this every day, and I'm not satisfied just by seeing you guys represent Christ, but I want to go to the source. When I look at this church of who we are and who we're called to be, we are called to live like God, to put him on display. What are we putting on display? We're putting on display the community that loves recklessly, not just one another, but everyone who steps foot in this building. We're a community who's called to unite together and sacrifice and to represent God in such a way that just the aroma of Christ draws people in and they say, I want to go to the source. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we, that we just get to be here, Lord, that we get to learn who you are, that we get to seek you with all that we are, that we get to press on and strain on and just continue moving towards knowing you and becoming more like you, Lord. It's a gift to get to love the people within these walls, but it's an even greater gift to put your love on display for everyone that we come into contact with. Lord, I pray that we take this ambassadorship seriously, that we can just continue to just seek ways to love you better and to show your love to those, not only in the present, but in the future. In your name we pray, amen.